The following message is part of the preaching ministry of Berlin Baptist Church in Sally, South Carolina. We pray God's richest blessings for you as you study His Word. So today we are in our fifth uh, fifth installment in our stewardship series that we've begun this year with uh, going through different scriptures in the Bible that speak to the comprehensive nature of stewardship. So I know I say that every week, and I hope by now that principle, that truth has, has uh, found a way into your mind and heart. Stewardship is so much more than uh, our obedience to give when offering time comes. It's about our entire lives, everything we are, all we are, uh, being devoted to God in every way. And so today we're going to be in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, now, this might be a familiar passage to you because of one particular verse in this uh, set of verses, and that's the one that uh, maybe many preachers might be, uh, I don't know, might tend to concentrate on one particular verse, tempted to, to stay on one verse, and that's the verse that says, God loves a cheerful giver. Right, you probably heard that before. Probably heard that principle before. Uh, even if it hasn't been in the midst of someone quoting a verse of scripture, maybe just saying, "Well, you know, God loves a cheerful giver." And so, what I want to do today is by going through this passage in its context, hopefully we can understand what that really means and why it's important and why it's true. Quite honestly, uh, so I want to start off as an introduction today by referencing another verse. Because here's the theme that you're really going to hopefully see developed throughout this passage today. Every time we look at a subject like this, but especially this one, it's really important to examine our own perspective of one particular thing. Here it is. How do we view God? I mean, really. We talk about God a lot especially when we're gathered together. We think about God frequently. We sing about God. We sing and talk and think about things about God. In other words, we, we develop a thought or a perspective on what we perceive God to be like based on what we say, what we think, what we sing. How about this? How often have you heard in church... Well, you know, God, everything comes from God. God owns it all anyway. Right? Have you heard that before? My God owns the cattle on a thousand hills, and He owns the hills too. You know, everything, everything we have is from God. Have you heard things like that before in church? It's almost as if we know it subconsciously. We talk about it. We even may say things like that. But how much do those statements overflow into, all right, I'm going to live like I really believe that. Because we say it all the time, don't we? Even when we pray for the offering. And it doesn't matter who's praying. Be a dozen different people say the prayer before the offering. But something to the effect of, well, God, we know all, the, all we have comes from you and we're giving you a portion back of that. And, and, and that's the truth. It's a good thing to remind ourselves of that fact. But to what degree... Do the songs we sing? How about this? I surrender all. All to Him I freely give. Really? Really? To what degree does that song 
then affect how we really live it out. Am I making sense? You understand what I'm saying? We say a, th- a lot of things and think a lot of things and sing a lot of things about God, about how we have whatever it is we have, where it came from. God blessed us with this, or God gave us this, or thank God for this. But do we really live that out? I'm going to read a verse of Scripture for you. That does, it's not from this passage today, but it, it bears on our passage directly. Romans chapter 8, verse 32. You can just jot it down. I'm going to read it to you. Romans 8, 32. Here's what Paul wrote to the church. He said, He, God, who did not spare His own Son, but delivered Him over for us all, how will He not also with Him freely give us all things? Now that's in the context of the end of Romans 8, where where Paul's building up his, his argument. You know, Romans 8 began with a statement that says, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, which is a beautiful truth. But then he developed that, and at the end of chapter 8, he's going to say, what can separate us from the love of God? No, nothing, nothing. We're more than conquerors through him who loved us. Okay? So that's what Romans 8 talks about, but I want you to see that one verse in that context He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him over for us all, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? So how do we view God? That's what it comes down to. With all we say, with all we think, with all we sing, how do we view God? Is he a giver or is he a taker? What do we really think about God? Now, I want to read this passage for us today, 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 9, verses 6 through 15. And we're talking about cheerful generosity. Now, let's see what the Apostle Paul was inspired to write to this church and then by extension to us that we might understand. Here we go. This is what the Bible says, 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6. Now, this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly and he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully each one must do just as he has purposed in his heart not grudgingly or under compulsion for God loves a cheerful giver and God is able to make all grace abound to you so that always having all sufficiency in everything you may have an abundance for every good deed as it is written he scattered abroad He gave to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. Now, he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in everything for all liberality, which through us is producing thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only fully supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing through many thanksgivings to God. Because of the proof given by this ministry, they will glorify God for your obedience to your confession of the gospel of Christ and for the liberality of your contribution to them and to all. While they also, by prayer on your behalf, yearned for you 
because of the surpassing grace of God in you. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. Father, in Jesus' name, I pray today that this word of yours will find its home in our hearts and minds. And I pray, God, that you'll help me be clear in what I say, and I pray that everything you lead me to say today will be according to your word, that it won't be my opinion. And if, if, if there's anything, even in the notes I've got written down here, God, if there's anything that, that I want to say that I shouldn't say because it's not of you, then I pray you just keep me from saying it. Help us to hear from you and, and your word for your glory, for our good, and for the sake of the gospel. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, that passage is uh, full of all kind of information, but there's kind of two major themes that run through those verses today. Here's number one. Give generously to realize God's blessings. Give generously to realize God's blessings. Now, when I say that, when I say it that way, realizing God's blessings. Now, understand, a lot of times... People, human beings, all of us, we have a temptation in us to want to say, well, if I do what God says, then God will give me stuff. It's almost like a, uh, uh, an equation that we want to form that says, okay, here's the magic formula. If I'll just do this that God tells me to do, then he's going to bless me, and I'm going to say, I'm going to decide in my mind, this is what that blessing should look like. Does that sound familiar? In other words, you might hear somebody say, well, you know, if you just, if you just give to the church, God's going to bless you beyond your wildest dreams. Really? Do you find some verses in the Bible that, that tells you that if God uh, sees our obedience, that he is then obligated to put a deposit in our checking account? That's not what this, this verse, this passage, that's not what God's word says. What God says to us is that we will realize His blessings when we are obedient to His Word. And His blessings take numerous different forms. Now, He starts this passage, Paul does, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, a tale of two farmers. So if you look at verse 6, there's a tale of two farmers, a contrast, if you will. He says, if you sow sparingly, you will reap sparingly. So in other words, let's just put it out there, less seed equals less crops, equals less of a harvest, right? Then the other side of that coin, the other tail, the other farmer, if you sow bountifully, you will reap bountifully. So that means more seed equals more crops equals more harvest. Makes sense, right? Pretty straightforward. But then he moves into a tail of two givers, a tale of two givers. And if you look at the text there, after he lays out that analogy from agriculture, you know, less seed equals less crop equals less, less harvest. More seed equals more crops equals more harvest. Then he says in verse 7, each one must do just as he has purposed in his heart. So let me just break that down for a minute. We need to think about what we're doing, right? We don't want to be too spontaneous or too um, thoughtless, we want to consider what we're doing. So when Paul says, each one must do what he has purposed in his heart, so here's what we need to do. 
Let's think about what we're giving. Let's think about the time we're spending. Let's think about the talents and, and gifts God has given us to use in His church for His glory, for the good of people. Let's think about the resources God gives us individually and as a church and how we can best leverage those things for the glory of God, for the spread of the gospel, for the good of His kingdom. How can we do that? We should think about it and not just... I hate this phrase, but I'm going to use it anyway. All willy-nilly. You know what I'm saying? We shouldn't just... Well, let's... Uh, what do you think? Well, whatever. Let's just do something. No, no, no. We should, we should consider what we're doing. We should be careful and thoughtful and responsible in our stewardship. That's what the Bible calls us to do. We shouldn't just do whatever. Well, as long as we do something, it doesn't matter. Let's just do whatever. No, 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 no. We need to think about it. But here's the catch to that piece. Once we think about it, once we consider it, once we pray, once we say, God, what would you have me do? Then it becomes a settled conclusion. You understand what I'm saying? Then it becomes a purpose in my heart. Once I've thought about it, once I've prayed about it, once I've considered what God would have me do, and I'm convinced, all right, God, I feel like this is what you're telling me according to your word and in my prayers. I feel like you know, this, here's how you blessed me. Here's what you want me to do. And so once that purpose comes into your heart, guess what? You can do it with a smile. See what the Bible says in verse 7? Not grudgingly. Not, oh, well, great day. I guess here comes the offering plate again. All right, I guess I'll give something. That's grudgingly. That's not happily. That's not cheerfully. That's not gratefully. That's, well, shoot, I guess I've got to give something. That's... I'm feeling compelled. I'm feeling obligated. I'm feeling uh, sad, quite honestly. I'm, I'm not happy about what I'm about to do. You tracking with me? Is this making sense? The Bible says once we consider how God has provided and given to us, then we pray and consider, God, what would you have me give? And that purpose comes into my heart and then I can say with a smile on my face with cheer and joy in my heart God thank you so much that I, I I could have nothing I could have nothing to give but because you've given to me I have something to give and, and I'm going to do it with a smile I'm going to do it with, with thanksgiving in my heart I'm going to be thrilled that you have blessed me to the point I can actually give something what a, what a joy, what a perspective. But it all goes back to, remember what I said at the beginning. How do we see God? Is He a giver or is He a taker? What does His character tell us about Him? What does God do in our lives? How does God relate to us? Is He a giver or a taker? So when we understand that part of who God is, we see we have give what we give what, our, what we purposed in our heart. So then we don't give grudgingly. We don't give under compulsion. We give cheerfully. And by the way, Warren Wearsby said, a cheerful heart is not a substitute for an obedient heart. Our hearts should be both 
faithful and cheerful because we give the right gift with the right motive. You know, you can do the right thing for the wrong reason. It still can be wrong. Does that make sense? You can obey your parents but hate every second of it and have this look on your face like, you know, you've been eating oatmeal out of a concrete mixer. And you can be just be just upset about it. Well, okay, I guess I will if I have to. That's, that's not the attitude that God wants from his children. And quite honestly, there's no real reason, not, not a reasonable reason or a logical reason for God's children to view God in that way. Does that make sense? Another commentator, Colin Cruz, said, it's not difficult to suggest why God delights in the cheerful giver. He himself is such a giver, and he desires to see this characteristic restored among those who were created in his image. So you understand why it makes a difference how we view God. If we see God as a giver and we are God's children, then it makes logical, reasonable sense that his children would also exhibit the same type of characteristics that he does himself, right? Amen. If we want to follow Jesus, you know what the word Christian means? Little Christ. You know what that means? That means we look at Christ and the example of his life and his words and his actions, his thoughts, his perspectives, and we try to emulate or we try to pattern our own lives after those. So if God is a cheerful giver, he who did not spare his own son, if God is a cheerful giver, then it makes perfect sense that his children would also give cheerfully and generously. But I want you to see that God gives us grace to do that. Remember, He doesn't call us to do things that He doesn't prepare us for or supply us to do. You understand what I'm saying? Next week is our final installment in this stewardship series. And uh, we're going to be in Luke's Gospel. And uh, I, I just want to tell you, I, I've already kind of been pre-preparing for that sermon. And I want you to know, it's going to be, next week's going to be hard. For me in particular, and I, I won't tell you the whole story yet. I'll tell you next week. But God has already convicted me of something pretty significant in my own life. Something that I've been disobedient with regards to missions and evangelism and, and being so uh, intentional about sharing the gospel. He's already convicted me about something pretty, pretty significant in my life that I'm going to share with you next week. But I, want, I just want to say this. I don't want to give away everything for next week, but I will tell you this. God doesn't call us to do things that he doesn't give us the resources to do. You, you can just bank on that. If, God, if, you, if you honestly believe and know in your heart that God has called you to do something, he will provide for you to do it because he's the one who told you to do it. Doesn't that make sense? Amen. That's who God is. He's a giver. He is a giver, and He gives us abundant grace. Look at the text. Abundant grace. He is make, able to make all grace abound to you for this reason. Here's the purpose. So that you will always have a sufficiency in everything. You know what that means? It doesn't mean you'll have everything you want. Here's what it means. Sufficiency in everything. Everything He calls you to do. 
you will have a sufficiency for that. So when God tells you to do something, and you know God's telling you to do it, guess what? He's going to provide everything you need to do it. And that goes for His children individually. That goes for His church. Folks, understand this. I'm going to use two specific examples really quick. If God calls us in order to reach our community in the best possible way, to, to change our youth and children pastor from a part-time position to a full-time position, and we feel that that is what God wants us to do as a direction in order to maximize His glory and our reach of the gospel in the community, guess what? He's going to make it happen. He's going to give us the resources we need to make it happen. It's just that simple. If God wants us to build a building so we can better do the ministry He calls us to do, and He wants us to do that here on this property in order to reach more people and be more effective with the gospel, guess what? He's going to provide for it. He's going to do it. And, and I'm going to tell you another little secret. I was going to do it next week, but I, I might say it next week too. Did you know that every single penny, every single resource that we need as a church to do either of those things or anything else, did you know God's already put it here in the church? Amen. It's in our pockets. Did you know that? I'll just leave that right there. We'll talk about it next week. Paul quotes Psalm 112. He says, as it is written, He is scattered, He has given freely to the poor, His righteousness endures forever, His home will be exalted in honor. He quotes that psalm, the one I read at the beginning of the service today. He's talking about the righteous man, the, the follower of God. He's scattered, He's given freely, and, and here's the result, His righteousness endures forever. There's a, a couple of guys, church fathers, that from back in the, the 3rd, 4th, 5th century, shortly after, in the grand scheme of things, shortly after Christ was physically on this earth, one named Clement of Alexandria, he, he said this about that particular psalm and how it's used here in 2 Corinthians. Some distribute their own goods and become richer. Of such people, Scripture says, He has distributed, He has given to the poor, His justice remains forever. Psalm 112. Therefore, it's not he who possesses and retains his wealth who is really wealthy, but he who gives. It is giving, not receiving, that reveals the happy person. Generosity is a product of the soul. So true wealth is in the soul. Another early church father, John Chrysostom, says this, after all, is what material wealth is like. The more it's given away, the more it remains. Whereas if we cling to it and lock it up for safekeeping, it destroys even those who cling to it. Remember Psalm 112, he distributed his goods as gifts to the poor. It says, remember, but listen to what follows as well. His righteousness lasts forever. It took one day for him to distribute his wealth but His goodness continues for all time with an undying remembrance. See, we have to understand this first point, give generously to realize God's blessings. 
God is a giver. That's who He is. That's who who He's always been. He who did not spare His own Son, but delivered Him over for us all. He's a giver. He supplies seed to the sower and bread for food. That's another Old Testament quote from Isaiah 55 verse 10. He will supply and multiply your seed for sowing. He will increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be, look what the Bible says, you will be enriched in everything for a purpose, for liberality. Do you know why God blesses you? So you can be a blessing to someone else. We are blessed to be a blessing. That's the whole point. And that's true for everything. That's not finances. That's spiritual gifts. Why does God give people spiritual gifts? To serve others. That's the whole point of every gift God gives us is to use as a responsible manager, a good steward, to serve someone else, to glorify Him. And you see this transition as we move from verse 11 to verse 12. God's gifts to us produce thanksgiving to Him through our gifts to others. In other words, we're paying it forward. You heard that phrase before, pay it forward? Someone does something for you, you do for someone else. You ever been in a line at a, at a fast food restaurant, specifically the Lord's Chicken, Chick-fil-A? And it, it's, it's, the string gets created. Somebody in the drive through line pays for the car behind them. And you pull up and um, the, the car in front of you just picked up your, your cost. And, and they usually ask you, but you can, oh, well, okay, well, let me pay for the car behind me. And then the next person comes up, and so on, and so on. And then, you know, 20, 30 people in a row, because of one person, you're paying for someone else. You're blessing someone else because you were blessed. And then, of course, it always comes to an end because nothing lasts forever, right? So here's what happens. Somebody, who knows, somebody gets up to the drive-thru window and they say, Sir, your, your meal was paid for by the car in front of you. Oh, really? Thanks. See you later. And off they go. And it's over. Because not everybody notices the principle blessed to be a blessing. God's gifts to us produce thanksgiving to Him. Number two, last point. Give generously to bring glory to God. We give generously to realize God's blessings. We also give generously to give glory to God. If you look at verses 12 through 15, you start to see the results of generous giving. This ministry of service. It's a ministry. Generous giving is a ministry. Generous giving, first of all, supplies the needs of the saints. There's so many different programs in existence many of them very helpful but do you know it wasn't always that way when the church was vibrant and obedient and generous did you know many of the needs that are being met in other ways today were met by churches read Acts chapter 2 at the end the establishment of the early church Everyone was together, had all things in common. No one had a need that was a need that was unmet because everyone was giving their resources 
to meet each other's needs. So everybody had what they needed. Some people had a little, some people had a lot, but they wanted to make sure, especially beginning with the church, that people's needs were met. So generous giving supplies the needs of the saints. Generous giving also overflows through, see what the Bible says? Through many thanksgivings to God. You know, here's what that looks like. Has anyone ever said this to you? I thank God for what you did. Anybody ever said that? You ever heard that? I'm so thankful to God for what you did. See, when you're obedient to God and you give and you serve and you meet needs, God gets the glory. Even though you did the service or you gave the gift, maybe no one ever even knew that it was you that did it. But guess what? God gets the glory because God gave the original gift named Jesus. He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him over for us all. He's a giver. Generous giving provides proof of our confession of the gospel. Do you know what the words credible confession mean? It means I can go out on the street corner right below the, the, the uh, automated sign on the middle of the uh, middle of Wagner, and I can get a megaphone and scream, I'm a Christian, I believe in Jesus. And that's great. But do you know what makes that confession credible? What do I do that looks like Jesus? How do I act that looks like Jesus? How do I give how do I speak? How do I treat others? How do I serve that looks like Jesus? See, that makes my verbal confession practically credible. In other words, I can tell you all day, but you won't really start to believe it till you see it. When you see generous giving gives proof of our confession of the gospel and it leads others to glorify God. You see in the text right there, they glorify God because of your confession of the gospel, your credible confession. Also, they glorify God because of the liberality of our gifts to them and to others. You see what the text says right there? Verse 13, because of the proof given... By this ministry, what ministry? Giving. Generous giving. That looks like Jesus. So you can tell people all day long, Jesus loves you, and I'm trying. Or you can show people that Jesus loves them by loving them, by serving them, by meeting needs. That's what the text says. They glorify God for your obedience to your confession of the gospel of Christ and for the liberality of your contribution to them and to all. And it also, generous giving, causes people to pray. I want you to see there's love and affection in the body of Christ when there's obedience, when there's generous giving. Look, look at the text there in the end of verse 13 going into verse 14. Prayer on your behalf. See, 
prompt, this, this generous giving prompts love and affection among God's people. They, people pray for one another. People yearn for relationship, friendship, fellowship with one another. And the, the love and affection is based on, look what the text says, the surpassing grace of God. How, how do you define that exactly? What, is it, what does surpassing grace look like? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him over for us all. That's a lot of grace. Surpassing grace. That's what prompts us to give in the first place. And see, God deserves the glory. Because remember, this, the second and last point of the message today, giving generously, it brings glory to God. And God deserves glory, honor, thanks for His indescribable, inexpressible gift, Jesus. He who did not spare His own Son, but delivered Him over for us all. See, the important thing to note is that for Paul, all Christian giving is carried out in light of God's inexpressible gift. And therefore it ought to be done with a cheerful heart as an expression of gratitude to God. As well as in demonstration of our concern for and our, and our partnership with the recipients of the giving. So when we put all this together, give generously to realize God's blessings. Give generously to bring glory to God. It all comes back to this same principle. Is God a giver or a taker? When we come before God and we offer a gift, what's in our heart? What, what, what's going on in our hearts and minds when we give to God? Are we conscious of the truth of God's character, of who He is, how He has demonstrated His love? Romans chapter 5, verse 8, God demonstrates His love for us in this, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He who did not spare His own Son. He, he didn't spare His own Son. Let's conclude this way. Can you picture God? Can you picture God's face? I know this is, we're kind of ascribing human traits to, to God. I understand how that doesn't really work, but just bear with me for the sake of the example. Can you picture God's face? Can you imagine God's thoughts, say, around uh, somewhere between 2 and 4 B.C., when it was about to be time... For, uh, for Jesus to come to earth. Can you just imagine with me for a minute maybe what God was thinking nine months before Jesus was born? The angel's about to go visit Mary, about to go visit Joseph. God's plan is about to begin to unfold. And God's in heaven. What was he thinking? What was his attitude? Was he sitting up in heaven 
saying, gosh, I, well, I don't really want to give, but I guess if I have to. You know, they, they don't deserve, they don't really deserve what I'm about to give them. I don't know, I'm, I'm having second thoughts. I don't know if I should do this or not. What was God thinking? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him over for us all, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? God's a giver. He just gives and gives and gives. So the question really for us is, why should his children be any different? Let's go. Thank you for listening to this message from God's Word. For more information on Berlin Baptist Church, we invite you to explore our website at www.berlinchurchsc.org.